This morning we'll be in Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. Um, just so you can be warned, we'll continue then uh, next week uh, through the scriptures. So you've got a week to kind of read and you can kind of guess where I'm going. Uh, but I'll tell you, next week it's going to be Daniel chapter 4. Um, so some of these Old Testament stories are just, uh, they're just wonderful. So next week will be Daniel chapter 4. Um, Ezekiel 37 this week. So uh, I had a lot of fun as a youth pastor. I mean, it was awesome. I did it at a time where you couldn't get sued for hurting children like you can now. Uh, and so we did all kinds of crazy things. My very first trip, so I'd, I'd left a great job, gone to seminary. Uh, we, we made it through barely. You had enough just to feed our kids hot dogs and oatmeal. I uh, got my first job that summer. We went on a mission trip. Someone had already planned it in inner city Philadelphia. And I'd gone up a couple weeks early to scout. And I had accidentally, if you've ever driven through downtown Philadelphia, they have these huge streets, just huge streets, and a little bitty traffic light on the side. And, and they might have a cross street that's just a single lane, and there's a traffic light way over here. Well, I was coming from uppity Charlottesville, where we had traffic lights everywhere, warnings and, you know, all of this everywhere. And so I ran a couple of those lights. And so when we were, when we were getting ready for the trip, I had a bunch of college kids that were interns, and I'm like, now... One thing you got to take note of, the traffic lights. We're going to be doing some inner city work in some of these um, neighborhoods. And we went to this place called Needle Park where they did a needle exchange. I'm like, make sure you have steel-toed shoes. Um, and watch out for those traffic lights. The first day, I T-boned somebody right through there with the church fan. Kabam! Just T-boned this Pontiac Grand Am. Smoke coming everywhere. I'm like, oh, why did it have to happen to me? Pastor's daughter, front seat, bam, hits her head. Nice big welt on her head. Pretty little Amy Hall showed up to a mission trip with a 101 Dalmatians pillow. I'm like, that's it. It was a good job. I enjoyed it. It was nice to meet you all. I am done. The kids were like, Pastor, uh, we'll, we'll tell our parents that you're really not that bad of a driver. We'll tell our parents. They were all, all of them were concerned. Every one of them thought, I'm going to get fired. Well, it was interesting because the cops show up and uh, the, the, this poor lady whose car I hit, I, I think she may have had some warrants out on her or something. She's crying. I'm like, we've got insurance, ma'am. We'll take care of you. Are you Okay. And she's like, I, I, I can't, I can't, I got to go. And I'm like, I'm like, ma'am, we have to fill out a police report, but we'll cover it. You're, you're, you're going to be covered. Everything is covered. We have good insurance. We're going to take care of you. And she goes, I can't, I just, I can't. Uh, and, and she gets in and she drives off. Smoke's coming out. I'm like, somebody get the license plate for this poor lady. She's probably just out of her mind. And, and, and so we wait for the cops to show up. I tell the whole story to the cops. They don't get out of the car. They're like, do you care? We're in Philadelphia. I'm like, uh, what do you mean? Do you care? I'm like, uh, excuse me, sir? We don't care. <laughs> what do you mean? We don't care. If she's gone and you don't care, we don't care. <laughs> I was like, okay. Get home. Uh, I'm, I, the, the senior pastor is waiting for us in the parking lot. And he comes up and he says, 
how's the trip? And I heard it was just wonderful. I'm like, I'm sorry about the van. He goes, I don't care about the van. I heard it was great. I heard kids got really challenged. I heard they got to share their faith. I heard they got to fall in love with these little Puerto Rican kids in these parks. I heard it was wonderful. And it was at that moment I thought, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for putting this young pastor in a church with a senior pastor who cares about what's most important. But have you ever done anything like that that maybe you thought could not be forgiven? Or have you ever done something and the response surprised you? Either the response being over-the-top response or the response being so gracious that you think they can't really understand what has gone on. I tell you that because the Ezekiel 37 passage, it, it exists in this context of God's punishment. So when, when God gives his covenant to people, he, he would have several tribes saying, here are the blessings if you follow the covenant. Here's, here's how you're made right with God. Here's how your sins are taken away. And then the other tribes would say, if you fall away and serve other gods, then all of these things are going to happen. Take note, O Israel, these things are going to happen. And so Ezekiel is full of these things. And yet in the midst of all of it, and it is an amazing book, it's kind of like the revelation of the Old Testament. There's almost everything in there. I, I don't know if some of you took my advice and read it this week. Uh, I know Tammy did because she got confused about a few parts. She's like, this is weird, that's weird. I'm like, exactly, it's so weird. All this stuff is going on. Um, but Israel was certain that they weren't going to get carried away. They were certain, and one of the reasons they had certainty, they had lots of reasons for certainty, is we've been studying Romans, when we talk about the Jew had certainty because of their ethnicity, because they'd been given the law and all of those things. Uh, the, the Jews here had uh, a certainty that Jerusalem would not fall. It was kind of their pinnacle, right? It, it was their capital. It was, it was what they said, this is God's city. He dwells here. No matter what we do, he will never, ever let it fall. Well, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let me just give you some timeline, okay? Uh, 593 to 586 is about when um, this, this happens. Uh, 593 B.C. to 586. It starts uh, in, in chapter 1. It's the 30th year, the fourth month, the fifth day of the month. So he's very detailed. Um, it's wonderful because we can even follow to the month historically, the calendar in Ezekiel and the calendar in world history. Um, he says he was, uh, Ezekiel is with the exiles. So some of them have been taken away in Babylon by the Chebar Canal. The heavens were open, he said, and he saw a vision of God. So that's the first thing that's just amazingly confusing. So maybe you've heard the song, Ezekiel saw the wheel way up in the middle of the sky, and the big, you know, all, that, all that kind of stuff. We sang that as a kid. It's crazy. In some of your Bibles, if it's a study Bible, you, you might have pictures of it, people trying to draw the wheel in a wheel and eyes all around. and I mean, all these scary things. If you read some of the books about the second coming and all that, you'll find out that you know some of the things were supposed to be Apache helicopters. Evidently, they, they knew them back then. Who knows? But lots of crazy stuff going on. Okay, It's an uh, apocalyptic book. And it's beautiful that our God does this. In the middle of his punishment, he's like, the story ain't over. I will still have my way. 
I will still be your God and you will still be my people. In fact, something like that phrase happens 50 times in this book. And uh, you will know, he says, you'll know that I'm the Lord your God. And, and then he sees this vision of the glory of the Lord leaving the temple. Um, for him, it would have been horrific as he's called back to when the temple was built and Solomon dedicated it. And the glory, this cloud that had carried them all across the wilderness, this cloud of God's glory fills the temple and pushes everyone out. And then he has this vision like God is leaving us. It's gone. And then in 586, December, Jerusalem falls. And uh, they, uh, 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 someone comes to him. And we read about that in chapter 33. In the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, a fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been struck down. And so the reality of Ezekiel's prophecy comes to bear on all the people that had listened. They see the destruction, and it is devastating. It's similar to what Augustine faced when he wrote The City of God, seeing the destruction of the Goths. Uh, what it, where is our God? What's going to be happening to us? And I would say that it's a healthy thing for us from time to time to have a taste of what our sins deserve. To have this sense that, that uh, if it were not for the wonderful grace of our Lord and Savior, we would be cut off. And so this morning, as we work through these 14 verses in chapter 37, um, I want to see how Ezekiel answers all of that. Just uh, what is the basis of our salvation? What does God do in salvation? What's our job? Or maybe even the most important, are we ever too far gone? Are we ever too far gone? You see, what these people commit against the righteous and holy God is worse than the nations that they drove out. Make no mistake, they, they drove out these nations, and people have problems with that. These nations were doing horrible things. They were burning their children on the fire. They were, they were just awful. And, and even the text says it's like the nation vomited them out. Get rid of these people. And then Israel comes along, and over a period of years, they fall into that same trap. But see, they had the Word of God. They had the prophets. They had the whole sacramental system. And so, I guess that's the question. Are we ever too far gone? So as we work through chapter 37 uh, this morning, we're going to kind of read it in parts. We're going to look at the scene. Uh, we're going to look at the question, the answer, and the promise. So first, the scene. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones and he led me around them and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. Ezekiel has these visions and he explains them in ways that talk about the power of God and the knowledge of God. 
Um, and so he, he'd had several of these going on and on throughout the book. And so he, he has this other vision. He says, this hand of the Lord was on me. The last time the hand of the Lord was on him was in chapters 8 to 10. And when the hand of the Lord was on him, he took him and he, he saw the inside of the temple. And it was a horrible thing. See, we, we just bought this building. And I'm excited about it. Bo, Bo even told me that he's trying to find some way of putting stained glass in here for Miss Tammy. So appreciate that. Uh, but but you know, it's a big deal for us. You know, th- this, this table given by a widow. You know, these pews, those pews back there out of an old Indian church. They sat in our garage forever. And Tammy chipped away at the gum that was left by those naughty little Indian kids. <laughs> Scotty helped us put it back together. Right? It, 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 it speaks. Right? It speaks. If we make changes, it, it speaks to purpose. Right? And at 8 to 10, God takes him in, and it is horrible what has happened in the temple. Gold was taken away after Hezekiah's reign grotesque images, pornographic things are in this temple. The hand of the Lord was on him and he took him there. Now the hand of the Lord is on him. We think of this as God's power, his control, his ownership. It's God exercising his authority and sovereignty over over all. You know, it's, it's interesting in Exodus, it was just the finger of God. Like it was just like God just lifts up finger and he destroys Egypt and here the hand of God takes Ezekiel and it says the spirit of the Lord again 10 times that shows up in Ezekiel God the Holy Spirit this breath it brings him to the scene and then it shows him these things that are unknown that are hidden and it's in the middle of a valley and against beautiful hour, God uses nature, isn't it? The high places and the valleys. Uh, this valley he had seen, the same valley he'd seen the vision of God that left him speechless and unle- unable to leave the house. He was homebound for about five years. So whenever I feel sorry for myself because someone falls asleep during a sermon, I read about Ezekiel. <laughs> Glad I didn't get that job. Uh, speechless, unable to leave the house. And then what does he see? He sees these dry bones. Now, the burial process in that time, there were really two stages. You were buried, you were mourned, you were placed in a vault, like a shelf in a cave. You've probably seen this in movies and TV. Uh, But the second stage, the bones then were taken to the ossuary. And they waited in the ossuary until resurrection. So sometimes when you read the Old Testament, and it's like Joseph says, don't leave my bones in Egypt. Right? It, was, it was part of that culture, and it was, a, it was a mark of faith. These dry bones one day would be made alive. So if you ever run into Christians that are against cremation, part of it comes back to this, that, oh, it's the pagans that burned all the bodies in the fire and all of that. Um, uh, don't tell my dad we had him cremated. But uh, we know that God can put all those ashes also back together and we'll get the last laugh with my pops when we see him in glory uh but that, that's what was going on so he goes to this valley and it's like the last stage of death it's it's there is nothing that can be done now what is he seeing here he is seeing the reality of the people's state ezekiel these bones they're my people 
it's interesting for us to grasp that God sees our faithlessness sees that we are much worse shape than we thought without him before we get to the question I think it's important that you would ask yourself what's my scene what's my story and you can think about the way you see it but the important thing really is the way God sees it does God look down on Three Rivers Church on our souls our, our dry bones do we cover them with idols of success you just today driving to church I saw a new truck and I tell Madison I want a new truck she goes you always want a new truck this time of year I'm like not just this time of year I, I always want a new truck period are they covered up are our dry bones covered up because we just always surround ourselves with people who affirm us and agree with us? But God sees the state of your heart towards Him. But that's the beauty of this story. I mean, what can be more dead than a dry, bleached bone gathered in this pit? You don't even know if this bone belongs to that bone or that skull goes with this jawbone. Just, just what can be worse shape? And then God asks this question in verse 3. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh Lord God, you know. What a great answer, huh? It's <laughs> like, uh, oh man, I, I might get this one wrong, so I think I'll turn it back on him. Can these bones live? Uh, maybe. Or sometimes goes along in our men's group chat. That's a definite maybe, folks. <laughs> Can these bones live? Lord, you know. Mark 27, 12, 27, Jesus says, Am I the God of the living and dead? Deuteronomy 32 in the Song of Moses, as Joshua was leading Israel, Moses sings this song. See now, he says in verse 39, that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Psalm 104, when you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they're created and you renew the face of the ground. How does faith answer that question? Faith answers that question, yes. But God, you know. And it's wonderful because despite appearance and despite history, a Christian can answer every adversity with, oh Lord, you know. And I'm telling you that that, that is enough. You know, we faced some hard times. Our little body faced some hard times. We looked at our small group this year, and man, there was lots of loss and hurt and pain. Oh, God, you know. He knows. This is the question God asks you. Can you live? You feel like your bones are dead and dry? Can they be brought back to life? You feel like our country's going downhill and there's no way to save it? 
Can God bring life to the dead? Oh God, you know. And then he answers, verses 4 to 10. He says to me, excuse me, it's just allergies in the neighborhood cat that snuck into our room last night. Can't get rid of bubbles. Can't get rid of them. Uh, excuse me. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and I will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Oh my, what a beautiful picture. The four winds, again, God control over everything, brings breath into death, brings breath into dust. Prophesy to these bones. <laughs> Stiff-necked, deft, hard-hearted, unfaithful, adulterous people, Ezekiel Continue to prophesy to them. Continue to tell them about their Lord. Can you imagine? Like, uh, Ezekiel's done some strange things, but can you imagine what this looks like? Preaching to a pile of dry bones. Prophesy to the bones, prophesy to the breath, pray to the Spirit. Verse 8 there still was no breath in them. What is this? This is recreation. When I said everything is in Ezekiel, everything is in Ezekiel. It, it, it's just, it's beautiful. It's just whole encompassing. This is creation and recreation. From dust, the breath of life comes into them. The word of God and the spirit together bringing about life. Oh, brothers and sisters, it is my hope that that's what we experience every week at Three Rivers. We bring our stone hearts. We bring our dry bones. We bring it before the Lord. And we're like, I, I do not deserve this. Oh God, you know. Speak to my dry soul. Now, I got to talk about C.S. Lewis. I mean, in, in th this scene, of course, is where he must have drawn this beautiful picture of Aslan coming into Narnia when all the witch had breathed on all the statues, uh, all the people, and turned them into stone. I mean, what a beautiful... I mean, the, the imagery is just wonderful, isn't it? And, and remember, Lucy comes with the lion, and she comes into the garden, and there are all of these statues, Mr. Tumnus, and all the statues. And as the lion breathes, they all come alive. That's what Ezekiel sees here. Um... So I want to give you five things to consider. One, don't pray for miracles from God and then decide to not obey Him. 
It would have been hard for Ezekiel. Don't, 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 don't pray for miracles and then kind of go around what God has already told you. To listen to the word. Whomever you are, whatever you've done, listen, pray to hear and understand. And then you ask the breath of the Spirit of God to bring life to your weary, your dry, your rotting bones. Number four, God makes himself known by taking dead things and making them alive. It's what brings him great joy. Sometimes as a Christian, I go to him again reluctantly. Father, I've done this again. Or it's a time of confession. I can't believe I've done this again. I can't believe I still wrestle with this. I can't believe... And it's as if I forget that he actually delights and is glorified by taking it away, by breathing on it and removing its stain. God makes himself known by taking dead things and making them alive. If you feel dead without him, if you feel powerless without him, you are right where God wants you to be. Call to him. Fifth, to those who are tired and weary, you've prayed for loved ones, you've prayed for children, you've argued, you've given. It is in God's hands. God knows. You'll hear me say often, um, as we, you know, we talk about people or issues or things or heartbreak, I'll say, well, the story ain't over. And I truly believe it. And at times where I feel personally hopeless or I feel like I've wasted time or I've wasted this, I hear that. The story is not over. For Ezekiel, whose whole ministry, he would preach the beautiful gospel, the saving work of God, and he would be beaten and ridiculed and argued with. Lastly, the promise. There's another restroom in the back right behind that door. There's the bonus one. Uh, the promise verses 11 to 14 Uh, then he said to me son of man these bones are the whole house of Israel right we knew that behold they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost they lost Jerusalem and so they had lost hope Oh, my word. So we light this candle, and this candle is the candle of hope. We say it is the hope and the breath of God. And, oh, Christian, we can't lose our hope. We can't lose our hope on uh, an election or a war or the stock market. Our hope will not be dried up because Christ is alive. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Verse 12, Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will open your graves, and I will raise you from graves, O my people, and I'll bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from the graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. What a beautiful, sovereign passage of grace and gospel right in the middle of Ezekiel, isn't it? He's not saying, if you try harder, if you just now turn towards me, he's like, no, I'm going to do it because that's what I do. I'm going to do it because I will not even let your sin rob me of my glory. Ezekiel, keep preaching. 
You don't know when, but I will act for my glory. And so it's great. He explains this vision. Israel is a dry bones. They've asked the question. They answered the question by saying, no, we don't have a chance. We're dead. Our hope is lost. But God says, no, I, I know and I answer. God says, that's me. I, I do cut. I do discipline. I do kill and I make alive. And you will know that I am the Lord. Well, if you ever think you're too far gone, we stand even in a better place than Ezekiel. You realize that we stand in a better place? For God Himself gave us His Son. We have something better than a, than a, than a vision, better than a promise. We have the risen Son of God. The risen Son who said, I have the power over life and death. I will voluntarily lay my life down and I will take it back. In John 11, when they're concerned about Lazarus, Jesus says to Mary, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall Live. John 20, verse 19 to 22. On evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. I, I, I love this. I was having an apologetic conversation with someone this week, and I said, for me, one of the greatest, greatest proofs of the resurrection is this text here. They were afraid. They were hiding. And the risen Christ comes to them, and they are different men. Verse 20, he said, uh, he said, peace be with you. He said this, he showed him his hands and his side. The disciples were glad they saw the Lord Jesus said to them, peace be with you. Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and they received the Spirit. Uh, just four more quick things. There's life after death. We always have hope. There's life after death. And is going to be so much greater than anything you have experienced this life can offer. Two, there's hope always for us beyond the grave. God is the God of the living, and it is God's Spirit that gives eternal life. His breath is a breath of hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to your people. We thank you, Father, that you are so concerned over your glory that you will not even let the fickleness of your people, you will not let our wandering idolatry, you will not let anything get in the way of you saving your people, that we might know you and we might make you known. Lord, we pray this Advent season that we would not give in to anxiety and depression, hopelessness. Pray as a people that we wouldn't just cloister away and say the world's getting so bad let's just keep it our, to ourselves Father but a people of hope people that know the same breath of life that is in Jesus is given to us. We might be a people of hope. Father we pray that we would take seriously as this picture shows our propensity to turn away from you and to put our trust in a city or ourselves or something else. How ugly and how helpless and hopeless that is. And yet, Father, to know that we're never too far gone. 
repent and turn back to you, the living God. Will you now, Father, set apart these elements, this bread and this wine, that we might in some mysterious way partake the value and the righteousness and the forgiveness and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We ask in his name and for his glory.